0: And the whole process that we need to go through as organizations, the leadership team, everyone who's going to be involved, and then let's start to come together and connect the dots across those objectives so that our master goal of achieving the case for change, and let's say steering the organization into a different market, uh, rolling out a new product, no matter what it is that initiative that we're working on, we have a way of then creating an architecture of steps architecture of objectives and key results that are going to help us get there. And that's what a lot of organizations miss out. A lot of the time, they will speak an amazing case for change. They will talk about the vision. But then they really miss out on developing a very good, robust structure that helps everybody see how we're going to get from here to there. And that's where OKRs can come in and really help provide that.
1: Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, Chief Product Officer of GTM Hub. GTM Hub is the world's most powerful platform for objectives and key results, or OKRs. In concept, OKRs are easy to understand, but challenging to execute. Until now. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. Ash Sadiq is the Chief Excitement Officer at the Executive Greatness Institute, where he coaches client leaders on executive presence, strategic communication, leadership transitions, and OKR rollouts. In today's episode, we'll discuss what is a Chief Excitement Officer, how to build the case for change, creating a battery of stories to unify an organization, and leveraging storytelling to bridge the why and what of OKRs. Let's jump in. Right. Well, Ash, thank you so much for joining us today on Dreams with Deadlines. I'm super stoked to have you on the show. So thanks for joining us.
0: Absolutely, Jenny. Thank you for having me.
1: So let's start with who's Ash? I think that's a very important question. So our listeners can know who you are and what you do, and then we'll launch into some, I think, interesting topics for today.
0: Wonderful. So I think, I think the answer to that question is that I am a leadership coach. I mostly focus on helping leaders become chief excitement officers. That is really the core uh, value that I bring to the table is really help them find where are the sources of excitement that they can identify either within themselves or within the environment that they are leading, and then tap into the, those sources of excitement and help them drive value in the organizations they work in. My background—I've mostly worked in high tech here in California—and I'm very excited about the conversation we're going to have.
1: Thanks. So, chief excitement officers—I think that was a first for me when I first like uh, met you. Can you talk about how how you think about that? Like, who who is a chief excitement officer? What does that mean?
0: Um, it, it's actually what I've noticed because, again, uh, honest to goodness, in my work at Cisco Systems. Of course, the CEO at that time was John Chambers and now Chuck Robbins. Both of those leaders really understand this concept really well because once they get on the stage, whether they are speaking inside the company or outside, they know that a big part of what they need to deliver is an excitement, posture. Leaders need to achieve or at least show everyone around them that they are going somewhere. They need to sort of bring that strategic view and that's really where the excitement is going to come from. Them being strategic, looking at the organization, where do we need to go? And then they come back after they see this amazing future, they come back and they are so excited to talk to everyone about it. And then they lead the charge to get there.
1: When I think about the type of work that you do, you're asking a lot of a a leader to be able to frame that. And they're having to establish that case for change. That's what we're talking about. Is we're, we're not we're not trying to stay the same that we are. The market is telling us. Our investors, our stakeholders, whomever it might be, are telling us that we need to be able to make that case for change and then bring people along for the ride. How do you help them build that case?
0: that, that, that is a great point because especially now, given everything that's going on, a lot of leaders will will hear this and say you know what, the sky is falling around us. Right now, we need to take care of today's business. The most important task for leaders is definitely not only to protect the castle as it exists today, but also think about what that future holds and be able to articulate that vision because then people want to stay with the company. They want to feel that the future actually holds a whole lot more promise than everything that's happening right now. Even if you're giving them the most amazing salaries, their brain is racing. Their brain is racing ahead and trying to think about what's going to come up. And as much as you can step into that conversation and give them anchor points, give them concrete picture of what that future is, the more the likelihood that they will actually stay. They may even be able to attract other talent to the organization as well. And that's really where that white space, a lot of the time people don't feel like they need to step into it because it exists. And we need to make sure that leaders are talking to it.
1: So what you're saying then in a nutshell is that storytelling is very important for a lot of different reasons, right? We're giving vision and direction to the organization. We're hopefully alleviating some of the fears that might be involved about our current and present situation. And then, you know, effectively giving everyone who is following that leader that vision into this is where we're stepping into the future. How do you help build out that storyline? I specifically wanted to ask a question around, you mentioned that there are levels of stories that executive leaders need to be able to unpack, understand, uh, and then be able to deliver. Can you talk a little bit about the levels of stories that you've you've helped leaders in Cisco and, and, uh, and other organizations uh, contextualize and be able to break down for uh, their employees?
0: so the level of sto- levels of stories that we're talking about is really more about making sure that that leader understands that in order for him to talk to Jenny and and explain to her the case for change in a large effort that leader needs to start first by really communicating with Jenny their own personal vulnerabilities and use stories to share their values and really connect with Jenny one-on-one. So do that with their direct reports, do that with their teams, do that with their organization first before they start unpacking a vision for the future that touches everybody within the organization. So depending on the level of change that they want to talk about, they need to say, you know what, I need to think about this in a campaign Thought process where first I need to start by creating a bond between me and my teams, create trust, and that's really where them sharing about their own aspirations as human beings, how they want to uh, be as a leader going forward? How do they see themselves and their own community their own organization shaping up in the short-term and the long-term and just being open to talk about perhaps personal stories, their stories growing up, the stories of how they have seen their dad do this or that and how that taught them something about life and something about values and something about work ethic and build up that trust factor over time with them and then continue to build that relationship capital within the organization and then come back feeling like, you know what, now I can actually share with them what I see the future holds for the organization and then build up a change leadership team around them so that they can then develop a number of stories that they use to help explain the case for change because they need to connect the dots between the present moment and what's good about it because there are pros and cons about right now and there are also pros and cons about what the future holds and be able to really make that dance through a set of stories that they can develop themselves as well as with the leadership team as well
1: what would a structure a good structure of such a story contain
0: the leader needs to acknowledge the hard work that happened today so they need to sort of honor the past because a lot of the time a lot of times in change efforts leaders are so are a whole lot more passionate about what the future holds and they already in their speed of action to dismiss what happened in the past, but everybody sitting in front of them has actually invested so much uh, of their claim to fame, their career, and their experience based on everything that has happened. So the first thing that, that leaders need to do when they are talking about upcoming changes is to, number one, really you know, think, of, think about almost like as the tribal history. You know what we came into this village, there were no trees, there was no food. We didn't even have any tents. And look where we are today. And just take time to really communicate that I appreciate and celebrate with you what we have been able to accomplish. And you know what? It wasn't easy, right? There were challenges. People had, had a hard time adjusting to everything that happened. And then come back and say, but you know what? If we sit still, things are going to get worse for us. And here's why. So if we don't self disrupt, our competition is already accelerating their movement, and they are grabbing market share. But you know what, I I can I can definitely see how much hard work we have invested. But I want to say now is the time for us to replicate what we've done in the past. We've created success in the past. And I know that together, we can create success in the future. Now, They see someone in front of them that is willing to appreciate the past and start building the future with them versus someone who's just coming to shut everything down and not talk about how important it was for them for all these years and start talking about the future. And I think that's the mistake a lot of leaders make is because of how passionate they are about getting to the destination, they forget to pause and appreciate how much we have achieved in the past.
1: The structured process, if I were to unpack this or at least summarize, would be there was a lot of work that happened, especially if you're talking about organizational change. There's a lot of work that had happened up until this point. We need to acknowledge all of those efforts and where we've succeeded and perhaps even where we've failed. Just be honest with that. And then that creates maybe that uh, that foundation to be able to say, okay, we know this. Here's the current market conditions or here's the why of why we need to make that shift. And here's the who, it's all of you. And then move into here's how. This is what I think, that future state. I think this transitions really nicely into OKRs, which is, you know, kind of where we want to end up with the the a lot of a bulk of our topics today. Can you talk about the corollary between like these chief excitement officers, the storytelling that's involved? and how all of this really ties beautifully in the OKRs framework.
0: That's fantastic, because because OKRs, Objectives and Key Results, as a model for managing execution, really provides this amazing bridge between what we were just talking about, which is the case for change, and the whole process that we need to go through as organizations, the leadership team, everyone who's going to be involved And then let's start to come together and connect the dots across those objectives so that our master goal of achieving the case for change, and let's say steering the organization into a different market, uh, rolling out a new product, no matter what it is that initiative that we're working on, we have a way of then creating an architecture of steps, an architecture of objectives and key results that are going to help us get there. And that's what a lot of organizations miss out. A lot of the time, they will speak an amazing case for change. They will talk about the vision, but then they really miss out on developing a very good, robust structure that helps everybody see how we're going to get from here to there. And that's where OKRs can come in and really help provide that language to talk about what it is that we want to do. And that's where I believe OKRs just provide that amazing cohesive tissue for us to think about the effort as a whole. And I know a lot of organizations are at different levels of thinking about this. Some are using OKRs, some may be using other tools, but I think OKRs, in my mind, just provide such a wonderful language for breaking down each of the steps and the specific metric that's associated with it.
1: So like at the end of, let's say, a period when the teams or the organization was pointed at particular goals and then they're doing their retrospective at the end of those periods, At that retrospective, if you follow kind of one methodology, you end up in a place where it's like we succeeded and then in the other place we failed. If we're going to kind of tie back to the storytelling and the techniques that, you know, you're really strong in and are helping leaders be able to express, what are some ways that they could be really helping craft those storylines around OKRs, goal setting, specifically around those successes and then conversely around potentially those failures?
0: That's a great point. I think as you're trying to ask that question, what I actually thought about was when we're telling a story, people want to know the details. They want to know specifically, for example, I usually use the, the example of going to this beautiful place in California called Yosemite, where on a lucky day, you'll actually be able to go see several waterfalls. And the beauty of, of, of citing the example of, the, of Yosemite is the fact that it's a natural park. You can talk about the trees, you can talk about the rivers, you can talk about the waterfall. But until you actually take that person and have them stand in front of those waterfalls and they see it with their own eyes, um, it is still a distant dream for them because they don't really, they cannot visualize it until you, you put them in front of it. So the beauty, the beauty about making use of stories as we talk about the future and how we can leverage OKRs as part of the story is when we actually start to get deeper into the details. And by that, I mean, we'll basically talk about, for example, if we're working on a product and we're trying to really reduce the cycle time from, let's say, a six-month period of time to maybe 90 days, and we're trying to really come up with this much faster product development and deployment cycle. Then we can talk about how beautiful life will be. Imagine when we are actually able to get this product to market sooner how life is going to be for us in terms of revenue. So now we're looking at it from our own point of view, how our revenue is, is going to improve. And also we look at it from the customer's perspective and we can talk about how this solution, once the customer has it, then they are able to also make a number of improvements in their own business they can perhaps see much better uh, customer service calls happening more on time they are doing it they're capturing information about their customers in a whole lot more detail than they were doing otherwise so then once we get deeper into those specifics we can then leverage them in the storytelling just like what i'm trying to do now is to look at the initiative we're working on look at the future what it means for us and what it means for our customers and then come back and talk about the specifics, whether we are impacting the customer experience and what metrics are we impacting. Is it the wait times on the phone? Is it how fast they're getting their product at their door? And as much as we can think about a lot of these business examples and really look at them as stories because people are trying to find a way where they can visualize the experience. And that's where you know customer journey discussions are helpful in then bringing these two ideas together, the idea of storytelling and the idea of looking at the customer journey and look at how we can connect the dots across the two because that's really where storytelling becomes very useful.
1: When they're in those reflective moments, do you have any guidance for the senior leaders as they're trying to unpack the numbers, which honestly feel very cold, right? Like you, you did it or you didn't. These teams made it or they didn't. And, and it can be pretty scary especially if an organization is trying to be really transformative or really aggressive about the metrics that they had set for themselves in the beginning uh, and maybe some departments and teams didn't make it how do you advise them to to talk through this uh, in a way that hopefully isn't disheartening to their teams but still very honest to the, the truth
0: that's a great point I think and I I love what you're saying, because again, stories are going to be very helpful here because they really give us that bridge. And what can happen here is they can basically mention a story where let's just take someone who is like a marathon runner and that marathon runner, as they are running, and of course they have achieved so much success in the past, but in this round, they hit certain difficulties along the way and they had to completely get off the race. and and recharge and rebuild and perhaps wait for the next marathon to come around. Now, we can leverage a story like this one where, where, where we can talk about how someone could have decided to give up and not come back and completely walk away from running. But people who are determined and they believe in the outcome eventually creating success, even if they see mishaps, they have obstacles and difficulties along the way, But it's their determination and their willingness to succeed, that's really what at the very end is going to make a difference between people who, who are going to be quitters and people who are going to achieve success. So leveraging, whether personal stories or an analogy like this one, where we bring an example from sports or bring an example from other stories. Like sometimes, one time I was in Boston and I saw a poster in the hotel about how the city is one of the, it's basically the city of champions, because they have won so many championships. And then you can leverage something that could exist in the history of the company itself. They can look through the history of the company and find examples where exactly what you're describing has happened in the past before. Just by leveraging something like that, that they can connect with, then it inspires them to say, you know what, if these guys have done it, if we've done it in the past, then the likelihood of us doing it again is very, very high. So I think if leaders spend some time, and that's sometimes what I do with them, is we try to come up with a battery of stories. We try to dig deep into the history of the city that the company is in, the history of the company itself, who the founders are, how this company actually uh, was born, what are some of the stories around that? Because then we can bring those stories and use them as the bridge to the point we're trying to make. Like exactly what you were saying, you know, some teams are doing well, some teams are not doing so well. We want to be very open and transparent. And we have to then say, you know what exactly happened? This the same thing exactly happened X years ago. And then they can bring these stories and then say, you know what? This team could have decided to completely quit and call it a day. But you know what they did? They chose a different choice. They made a different choice. And the choice they made was we're going to succeed no matter what it takes. And you know what? It took them an extra 90 days. But at the end of the day, look at these pictures. That's when we were celebrating their success.
1: Hmm. So when you had mentioned, and as I was listening you talk, when you get a lot of leaders in the room, they have a lot of history behind them, right? One, they have different functional hats. So their agendas are going to be different. Like if you're talking to a tech lead, they have concerns that they're going to be responsible for. They've got their p they're responsible for. The CRO, similar, the COO. And then you're trying to ask them, hey, you all need to cohesively figure out what the overall direction of this organization is going to be. We're going to frame that in our OKRs as the top level, and hopefully they're highly focused and they have one to three, you know, that the entire organization or maybe three to five that they'll rally behind. This seems like an incredible feat for organizations that have a lot of history, you know, a lot of that tribal knowledge. Oh, that's great. When you're working with these senior leadership teams and they're duking it out, what, what does that look like and how do you get them to find that common battery of stories that everyone's supercharged about so that they, they all are chief excitement officers in their own right?
0: Uh, absolutely. And what, what I've seen at, uh, at Cisco and Uber as, as, as client companies, what happens is that a lot of the time, as we said, the the each leader jumps in time because of the vision that they develop. And I think once to your point, once they come into one room is to get everyone number one to backtrack from where they want to go and, and really get one focal leader, right, to think about what is that connecting vision that's going to help everybody see how it all is going to come together. So so my work then starts to focus more on who who is the focal leader here. It could be the CEO, it could be the CIO, whoever that leader is. And then we basically come together and say, you know, what are those different points of view that exist? And how can we then look at the vision that this person has and look at it as an opportunity to really connect the dots among them and make sure that there is a way for us at at the very end to see everything from a strategic point of view. And we try to then step back, even bigger, and really look at it as an opportunity for the company as a whole, which then becomes the cohesive tissue that you can take that functional point of view and connect the dots between finance, IT, manufacturing, and other functions within the company. When they look at that bigger, bigger strategic point of view for the organization, Then all of a sudden they see, oh, I can see now how it connects. So going back to your point about a battery of stories will be once that team agrees on the strategic view, then we come back and say, let's actually come up with a list of stories that could have been used before within this company that have been very effective, that the audience has risen, that that these stories have resonated with the audience. And then think about, is there an opportunity for us to continue using them or do we need to develop new ones? And are there personal stories that we could leverage and use as the bridge between the personal the personal story and where the organization is going to go? Or, like in some cases, let's say we looked at the car racing metaphor and we looked at how important it is to have such an amazing, highly efficient technical team that runs very specific tasks on that race car pit team, pit crew, And how can we then look at that pit crew as one cohesive team that that, that at the very end of the day is focused on making sure that that car and the car racing driver are going to make a win in that race. So even though there are many, many specializations, at some point they come as a cohesive set of people to make a specific result happen. And again, we try to use these metaphors to help the leaders know, yes, I have IT, I have finance, I have operations. But un- until we look at each other as one single team, we are far from our goal. And that's really, as you said, that step one is for us to make a commitment that we're not going to get passive aggressive once we leave the room. And we're making a commitment that we believe in the bigger vision. Here's, here's the big why. And that's really what we call it. We call it the backdrop, the big Y, is the big backdrop that acts as the catalyst for a lot of the conversations that we will have. We have to basically say, do you know how we're trying to achieve X, Y, and Z? That's why now we are thinking about doing X, Y, and Z. And by the way, we are so grateful for where we've come, the amazing work that you've done to bring us here. But if we sit here, it's not going to be fun because other people are already charging ahead and making changes. So we want to take that on and take the charge of ourselves so that we can lead the way rather than be followers.
1: So let's say that they leave the room and they've got this big why, you know, and I don't even know, I couldn't even begin how long it might take to get to that big why when you have such smart, but probably, you know, I would imagine... Uh, Very opinionated individuals together. But they get there, and that's awesome. And then they have the battery of stories, like you mentioned, that help substantiate, here are our top-level company OKRs. We've already figured out what our measurements are going to go be. These are the big initiatives that we're going to fund in this given quarter, half-year, year. You know, let's go. How do they know that the story is landing?
0: It's a great point and, and and to your point, there is a lot of effort that happens telling the stories, which is really part of the communication effort in those in in those change efforts it, it is something that has to be sustained, and a lot of these leaders need to keep checking in with certain individuals that are uh, big influencers within the organization and also go to individuals and just you know just walk and say how is how is Everything landing with you. What do you think? Are there some things that we need to change? So to your point, I think we cannot just depend on the big broadcast mechanisms like an all hands meeting or a company email, but we need to really encourage a lot of these leaders to go and do the the amount of listening that is very critical here, where they can go and speak to average individual contributors, try to have a conversation with them. Go talk to managers, go talk to HR, go talk to to finance, and continue to uh, check the pulse, to your point, that the story is landing, that they believe in the change. And that way, as a leader or the leaders in the organization, they are not just saying, oh, I already communicated it once. Uh, Like, as people will see in the meaning book, a lot of the leaders I interviewed about these uh, large-scale initiatives, they had to communicate again and again and again. And I and, and what we do in these efforts is we we work with let's say the top leader and we basically say okay we need to identify a network of believers within the company, and we develop those individuals as ambassadors as uh, spokespersons that help amplify the the stories that, the, and the case for change because the that leader him or herself and even the 10, 15 leaders that work with her or him cannot tackle the communication task with organizations that spread uh, across the world, as well as have, you know, 20, 30,000 employees, you need to continue communicating. And some organizations have up to a million employees. So can you even imagine if you're trying to steer that big of a ship? I think Amazon now has about 750,000. Um, You look at HP, for example, you have 300 plus thousand employees. So depending on the size and the magnitude of the change, then the change effort may actually develop into a big, huge cadre of people whose job is to, number one, to your point, identify these stories and what the case for change is. And then think about what's the ramp up time and how much runway do we have? And then they need to continue to reiterate that message in many, many venues and in different formats. So it ends up becoming a huge, huge effort, just the communication piece.
1: Beyond communication, like this is a huge part of of what you do really effectively, what you've been coaching on for quite a lot of time. What are some of the other big challenges that senior leaders are facing beyond the communication strategy? That's a big part of it. When they're trying to do organizational management change, whether it's adopting OKRs for the first time, whether it's some really big strategic move that they're trying to make, what are the, the big challenges that you're helping them overcome or what are they c- confronted with?
0: I think that some of the other big challenges that they are facing, of course, is the number of items that they have on their agenda, whether it's the day-to-day operational agenda that they have to manage, because they have to make sure that the business right now is producing results right now, revenue, taking care of their employees, taking care of their customers. So there's that agenda, which is the business, and then also the agenda of working on the business, and that's where the whole idea of we need to come up with come up with a case for change for what the future needs to be. And a lot of the time, the daily grind on the very first issue of running the business will actually suck most of their time unless they very adamantly, adamantly make sure that that strategic agenda gets spoken about, gets the kind of care that is needed. And that's why I always remind them that they don't need to think of this as something that they should be doing alone for sure. They need to develop a coalition of people within the organization who carry that banner about the change that they need to be working on. And that's really where we come back to the list of challenges. They have to manage the business today, make sure it produces results, but they also need to be thinking about what that future is. And I think that dichotomy is very, very hard for a lot of people. And as much as they can mobilize and tap into the resources around them. And I think that's really where the magic happens. The magic happens when a leader really sees everyone around them as part of that resourcefulness that they have. Tapping into the organization, tapping into perhaps consultants that they can use, because a lot of the time they just stay in their own heads and they don't communicate what's going on. But as much as they develop a number of deputies that they can talk to have them assist them then at least we have an opportunity to say that strategic agenda is not going to be forgotten um and that's really where the the main issue happens one 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 other consultant is basically telling me he works with a lot of ceos he he barely can find any ceo that takes time off and that's that's a big issue Because one of the most important things for us, in order for us to get strategic, is to have reflection time, to have the time to think about what are we doing strategically? Where do we need to be? What case for change do we need to be thinking about? And that's really where then a lot of leaders think, oh, I got to take care of the day to day. I got to make sure we're making our numbers this quarter, which is true. They definitely need to do so, but they need to figure a way that they have a portion of their time. That they can dedicate to what i call the meeting with self where they need to sit maybe it's friday afternoon and think about what are we doing to take care of the business today and what are we doing in order for that business to continue surviving and thriving into the future Uh, and that the difference between survive and thrive is that strategic agenda if they don't have it then someone else unfortunately will come and say oh my god you've been doing an amazing job helping us You know, manage the business day to day, and we're we're doing we're making our numbers fantastic job. But I don't really know what we're doing next year, and therefore we need someone else to come in here and help us take care of that.
1: Can you provide some kind of insight on how can senior leaders carve out that time, and what does that time look like when they're working with their OKRs, communicating about their OKRs, reflecting on their OKRs? What are some rituals that you promote? for top-level executives regarding that cadence or the practices that they need to take very seriously so that OKRs will be successful?
0: Uh, definitely one is, is honoring that meeting with self is the very first ritual that we would want them to do. And then within that, rich, within that meeting with self, the agenda for that meeting needs to be very strategically created. And on that agenda, strategic delegation is, has to be one of the items. And strategic delegation means I need to think six months ahead about the fact that I'm going to be delegating a big chunk of my business to somebody else on the team or some other organization on the team. And then I need to start thinking, okay, if I'm going to give it to them in six months, what can I do today to help them prepare for that handoff? And that's what needs to happen on an ongoing basis. They need to be constantly thinking about where their time is being spent and how they can chunk up more quality time where they can look at the OKRs, they look at the vision, how that vision is translated into specific measurable goals by using the OKR model, and that each organization has also tapped into that model. They understand clearly how they map to the higher order objectives that the organization is going to go after. By strategically then looking at their time this way, and making use of strategic delegation as one key opportunity, they have a mechanism for, on an ongoing basis, it's almost like they're doing spring cleaning because things are gonna creep up and go on their agenda. And as much as they can sit down and look across that calendar, six months out, a year out, and then ask themselves questions, what things that are on this calendar that have crept up on this calendar that I can, delegate out strategically. It's not about just handing it over without giving people enough uh, heads up and also enough upskilling to make sure that when they receive it, they will be able to take care of it and really take it all the way to its final destination successfully. And I think as much as leaders really see the meeting with self as an opportunity to optimize their own time and their own effort, and also the beautiful thing that happens out of this, they end up optimizing their own energy level. Because being a chief excitement officer means that every day people are really tapping into your own energy for them to get excited about what that future is. So they remember what the OKRs are and say, oh, my goodness, I promised 90 days where I'm 60 days in, I look at that OKR and I see I only have another four weeks to go. What actions can I accelerate in order for me to achieve my targets? And that's really where energy becomes very important because if we look at the leader and we can see that things are waning down, you know, it's not a good thing. And that's really where that meeting with self becomes an opportunity also to think about that energy. Where is it going? And where does it need to be? Because the excitement effect, their ability to excite others is the most important currency in this situation.
1: Well, this has been... Really insightful, just to peek into the the mind of a lot of the more senior leaders that I think a lot of listeners wouldn't have exposure to normally. And you you get to work with them, and I I think that's really cool for them to understand, Uh, and also for the hopefully senior leaders that may be listening to the podcast to say, "Hey, like there's there are some techniques I can use so that I can sustain that energy. I need to be thinking about the story arc." how those stories are landing with my organization so that we can drive change. And hopefully like, it, it, people can start to see the humans, honestly, behind the title. And I think that's, that's the key here. Like We're people, we're trying to achieve some stuff, and we have a story to tell and we have a place to go and we want to bring people along for the ride, right? So I think we'll wrap up with some quickfire questions because I, I always like to do this at the, at the end because I'm always curious. What do you appreciate most about your team?
0: The most I appreciate is the ability to readjust to changes. Uh, I think, uh, especially now... I think being able to flex is a is a major ask of all of us. And I think sometimes, of course, it gets tiring because m- human beings, again, all, our bodies are used to the stability. They really push us towards keeping things where they are. And every time we're trying to make a change, there's a lot of resistance in the system. And we need to recognize that the resistance is going to exist anyway. It's part of how we operate and and we talk about the whole idea of we need to continue to override the system because otherwise the system will will pull us back if you want to go out and take a walk the system will try to keep you sitting on the couch Um, so flexibility and being able to realize what's what's underneath the current you know what's underneath the current this whole resistance that we need to override is important and that's really where being consultative and being flexible uh, is a major thing that you we, we need to bring to the team.
1: What is your greatest dream and its associated deadline?
0: That's a big one. I think I'd love I, I think I'd love to be able to impact a lot more uh, leaders and organizations with the concept of chief excitement officers because there's just so much, opportunity that exists if leaders are able to do what we're talking about if they're able to actually stretch their goals and then be able to say well how do we go about doing that as you're saying you know if it's a large organization how do you steer it in a different direction and i think it's that hard work that we can also look at it as enjoyable work because if we are able to create more value for the company that also means for the customers that also means for the economy uh, so i think if within within you know, five years up to twenty twenty five, I'm able to work with at least five large organizations and achieve major change. Then we are, we are in a good in a good position.
1: And to that end, you've had a lot of what sounds like amazing experiences to date and working with large organizations, uh, high powered executives, if you will, or chief excitement officers. What has been your greatest or proudest moment? To date,
0: sure, sure. the the proudest moment, uh, like in one in one example, working with one leader to who wanted to get on the stage at her company and talk with the sales organization and really get them to remember that as human beings they need number one to be thinking about taking care of themselves. and it was amazing. She had an amazing experience uh, getting on the stage. I worked with her to help her develop the case for change for that keynote and creating a keynote and developing stories in the keynote that also included members of the audience. And to eventually see her getting on the stage and achieving a standing ovation at the end of that talk was just the biggest thing that happened so far in 2020. I mean, it was an incredible experience. And she she was saying that it's the highlight of her career. It was really wonderful. Because she was really talking about the whole idea of well-being and taking care of one another. Uh, So it was amazing that that happened because of course, I mean, you, you try to put things together and you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but things came together magically uh, to the point that people loved the conversation. They loved what the key points she she was making about how taking care of oneself would help one take care of others. And it was a major achievement.
1: What would you say is your greatest idea? Like this thing that just surfaced up and it came to mind when you had your meeting with self and you're like this is such a great idea like if you were to to pinpoint one and you're like this is this is it like i'm proud of this what would that be for you
0: i think Based on the work with innovation teams at Cisco, I ended up realizing that as they are thinking about innovation ideas, a lot of the time maybe they're looking at one department within the company and they're looking at how important that idea they have is in solving a problem specific to one to one department. And then I when we started talking, we realized that a lot of issues sometimes exist, not just in one place, but in many places. So I ended up creating what 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 I call the tension index. And the tension index is really about identifying a problem, first of all, and then stepping back and looking at the problem strategically, because then we ask ourselves, is this problem just endemic in this particular department, or is it across a number of business processes? And my passion behind that was, how can we get a much bigger auto on the investment time, money, and effort? And that's where, when you take a look at the, the tension index, then will be, it's a tool to help leaders look at issues a whole lot more strategically than they otherwise would. Because what ends up happening in a lot of organizations like I remember when when I was at Cisco in San Jose we have more than 26 buildings. Sometimes there is a team in building one that's working on the same issue that the team in in building five is working on. And that's still an issue that a lot of organizations struggle with whether it's GE or Cisco HP or any of these large organizations. There's always that redundancy in the system and as much as we can provide companies with a mechanism or a tool like the tension index, where they say, you know what, let's just pause a minute and let's try to f- you know, send out feelers. Where else can we get economies of scale? So when we work on this issue, it can actually produce a lot better results.
1: Thank you so much for being on the show today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you have too. I've learned a lot. So thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you very much, Jenny. Really appreciate it.
1: Well, that's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.